happens to those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's been a, um, uh, it's been a journey for me this week preparing for this sermon, not because the, the, the question is, or the answer to the question is unclear, um, but because of the responsibility that God places on us and the obedience in uh, the, the stewardship that we should have uh, when we handle the good deposit of the, the gospel message that's entrusted to us. I, um, I lost a good friend this weekend. Um, he was in a, uh, a car accident, uh, and the Lord took him home. He was about 29 years old, and um, we went to college together, um, and he... Uh, he always did a great job at reminding me of the importance of the task of evangelism. And when he graduated from Liberty, um, he did a lot of research uh, and found that uh, there was a city in New Mexico that was uh, in desperate need of a, a God-centered, Christ-exalting, uh, a biblical church. And so he packs his bags, he raised some support, and he goes out and he plants this church, and, uh, and he labored there until his death this past week. And, uh, and I was just looking on Facebook, and I was uh, looking at the church that he had planted, and, and the thing that kept, to, kept coming to mind is, man, he left a legacy, uh, uh, this ripple effect that will continue long past his death. Uh, and, and, and God used him as, a, as the, a means to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and to transform um, a city. And it was convicting to me as I was preparing for this sermon and uh, and it just reminded me that um, we have something precious. Every day's a gift, and we should utilize every opportunity that we have to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Like I said, this uh, our topic this weekend is on the question: uh, What happens to those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and on some level, this topic should make us all uncomfortable. Um, and I don't want you to leave here feeling uh, guilt-tripped uh, or manipulated, uh, uh, or, or I don't want you to just simply adjust your behavior. Um, I, I, want, I want the message this morning to cause you to, and, and, and myself, to really examine our love for the Lord and our love for, for other people. And, and I pray that, that, your, that your love and your affections for God will increase, your love and affections for other people will increase, and that those affections at Coastal will manifest themselves by a church that's committed to reaching every tribe, every tongue, every nation with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So what happens to those who've never heard the gospel? I'm going to jump around this morning. Um, my primary text is going to be found in Romans chapter 1. I couldn't think of a better place to, to handle this question than there. So you can turn in your Bibles there. But just as a disclaimer, I'm going um, to jump around primarily between Romans chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 6. And um, those are the two places that I'm going to be, and I'm actually going to read uh, Romans 1, this, this passage, 18, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read them to you several times throughout the message this morning, and I'm doing that strategically, and my prayer is, is that each time we, we read uh, this passage that you'll be able with uh, each point that we move, uh, as we move from point to point, that you'll look at this passage with fresh eyes, Okay. And so I, I, don't, I don't want it to be monotonous to you. I want you to really struggle and strive to engage uh, with Romans chapter 1 uh, as we answer this question, what happens to those who have never heard the gospel? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you four points, and I'm going to expound on each of those four points. 
Uh, if you'd like to hear more about the book of Romans in particular, Pastor Sean preached uh, a great sermon series last uh, summer. Uh, he preached through the entire book of Romans. You can check that out on our website, uh, or you can request it at the Connect Center, and, uh, and we will get it to you on a thumb drive. And, um, but what I want to look at uh, for our purposes is, uh, before we dive into the text is, is why is it that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans? And we touched on this a little bit last year, but um, uh, we need to bring it uh, to the surface again. Why did the Apostle Paul write the book of Romans? And it's found, and you don't have to turn there, just look up at the screen in Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, And thus I make it my ambition... To preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He's quoting the book of Isaiah there. And he, said this, and he goes on to say, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've long for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. The main purpose in the book of Romans, okay, we, this, this what I just read you is right at the end of the book of Romans, okay? And so the Apostle Paul spends the, all the stuff prior to, to him getting to this point, he's reminding them of the precious God. He's reminding them of their position apart from Christ and their position in Christ. And he's, he's producing this gratefulness. He's stirring their affections for the gospel message, stirring their affections for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, okay, because of all this stuff we've been talking about, this exciting, life-changing stuff we've been talking about, I want you to give out of a, a gratefulness that you have for this message because there's people, there are people in this world who haven't experienced what you've experienced. Okay, is everybody trekking with me so far? And so his, he, he was in Corinth when he wrote the book of Romans. He needed to get to Spain because they had yet to been reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, this is, we're still getting, this is the early church here, okay? And the major city in between uh, in between Corinth and Spain is Rome. And so he's saying, Roman Christians, my Roman brothers and sisters, this gospel message is precious. Amen? Amen. Let's give to this gospel message. Support this gospel message going out into places far beyond the city of Rome, the city of Corinth. And that's the structure that I want to take with you this morning. Is I want to, um, I, I, I'm completely, completely convinced that the church can't be excited about missions both locally and globally, uh, unless we're grateful for the gospel. Okay, and so we're gonna we're gonna look uh, examine the gospel message, and then I'm gonna my my aim is to follow the logic of Paul and and cause you to to act out of a gratefulness, not out of a, an obligation or a duty. And so let's get to to answering the the tough truth this morning. Romans chapter one, our primary text, starting with verse eighteen. The apostle Paul says this. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God 
the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You guys pray with me. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would burden our souls with the gospel until it affects every area of our lives. I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that the gospel would be heard, acknowledged, professed, and felt. And we pray this in the only name that's pleasing to your ears, Jesus. Amen. The first thing that we see from this passage of Scripture is uh, that the wrath of God should direct us to the character of God. The wrath of God should direct us to the character of God. Romans 1.18 states, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, the first part of God's character uh, that we should take note of is His holiness. God is holy. God is holy. In Exodus chapter 20, um, we, we see uh, Moses give the Israelites the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And one of the incredible, thing about, incredible things about the Ten Commandments is that God um, uses it to reveal to us his character and his standard. Okay, God is perfect. God is holy. And he, uh, his, his character requires, it demands perfection in order for us to be in a relationship with him. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it, uh, Peter's quoting uh, the book of Leviticus. He says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am what? For I am holy. Here's the standard because of God's character. Our God, he, he's, he's set apart. He's different. And it's a truth that we can't even fully comprehend. We, we, we don't even fully get that. We just kind of see it, don't we? God is holy. He's separate. We're sinful, broken, and we're separated from him because he can't dwell with something that's not perfect. In Isaiah chapter 6, um, the prophet Isaiah, he's, he's given a vision and he, and he documents it for us. Uh, the text states, the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 6 says this. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah goes on to say, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Hey, this picture that we have into the throne room of God, it gives us a glimpse of how separate God is from, from broken and sinful man. The text states that, that he's high and lifted up and, the, and that even the seraphim, which are these unfallen angelic creatures, okay, they, they haven't experienced sin. Even these creatures can't even gaze at, at a holy God. It says with, with two wings, they covered their face because they couldn't look at him when they worshiped. And with two wings, they covered their feet, symbolizing um, their humility before the, the God of all glory. And with two wings, they flew ready for the task that this holy God would commission them to accomplish. That's an incredible picture, isn't it? God is holy. So where does the holiness of God leave Isaiah? Where does the holiness of God leave Isaiah? It leaves him keenly aware of his sin. That's where the holiness of God leads Isaiah. He says, woe is me, for I am, a man of un- for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Because he's seen the King, the Lord of hosts, He's very aware of how different he is. There are two times where I've experienced this in my life. The first was when God saved me with the gospel. And the second was not too long after I was married. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably because you haven't been married, right? If you want to know how sinful you are, ask your spouse, right? Ask Ask your wife. My, I, I can't even get hygiene right with, with my wife, right? I go in for a kiss, a kiss and she's like, oh, your breath stinks. You know, this is horrible. It doesn't take too long before uh, you realize that you're a broken, just messed up person, right? Amen. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about somebody else. Well, uh, thank you, Scott, for that. Can we have somebody escort him out, please? Can we get the... But there's no... You know, in order for us to have a right relationship with God the Father, it, he, it, we have to be perfect. That's the standard. We can't have shortcomings. We can't have sin. We, we have to be uh, completely blameless to be in that relationship with Him. There's no compromise there. I've told you guys before, a lot of you know about my grandmother, and that's, that's a lot of that's the problem that she has is that she, she doesn't look, she looks at herself with her own standards, defining a, of her own definition of good, moral, right, wrong, and, and she fails to, to look at herself in light of God's standards, God's moral law, God's character, and when we do that, when we're honest, uh, honest enough to do that, we realize we fall short every single time, Right? Even our best attempts fall drastically short of God's requirement. Even our best attempts fall drastically short of God's requirement. The second part of God's character that we see in this passage of Scripture, in both passages, in Isaiah and in in Romans 1, is that God is gracious and merciful. God is gracious and merciful. We would be painting an incomplete picture if we stopped at holiness. God is holy, God is gracious, God is merciful. Naturally, it seems strange that the wrath of God would reveal that that God is both gracious and merciful. But look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me, the the next two verses. It says, then one of the seraphim, okay, these unfallen angelic creatures, he says that they flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We're going to talk about that atonement in just a minute. 
but our God gives freely to us the good gift of grace and mercy. And I speak to a lot of people who, uh, who handle uh, the, the grace and the mercy and the gift of salvation as something that's deserved, um, something, some, as something that we're, we're entitled to as people. Uh, we, we approach uh, the, the question, the topic of this week's sermon that way. We say, um, this is how we ask the question. We say, how could a loving God uh, send or allow people to go to hell who have never heard the name Jesus? Right, and when we say, "How could a loving God do this?" What we're taking is we're 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 taking our definition of loving and good and right and wrong, and we're throwing it on the very Creator who creates and defines good, right, moral, all of that stuff. Right, and so we 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 take the question and say, "How could a loving God do this? How could a loving God do X, Y, Z?" And and um, the, the, we need to to reform our thinking on this. And we need to reform our thinking on this. The wrath of God draws our attention to the holy and just character of God. The very thing that you and I deserve is, is separation in, in eternal punishment. That's what we deserve. So the, the question better phrased in my mind is, how is it that jo- God knows what Joey thought last night but didn't kill him in his sleep? That's, that's probably the question asked the right way, right? How is it that God knows Joey's very thoughts? He knows who Joey is, yet he doesn't strike him dead. Why is it that he does that? As Isaiah draws close to the Lord, uh, uh, he draws close to the God of the universe in Isaiah chapter 6, he he cries out, Woe is me, for I am uh, a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips, but God in his love, in his grace, and in his mercy atones for our sins by taking that wrath that should have been poured out on you and I, and he pours it out on the God's son, Jesus Christ. The wrath of God displays that God's merciful and that he's gracious because he pours it out on his son. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. One would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, Christ endured the wrath of God for us. For if while we were still, uh, while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of a son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through who, whom we have now received reconciliation. That's an incredible uh, hope-filled passage of Scripture. Amen? You know, one pastor states that the most graphic revelation of God's holy wrath and hatred against sin was when he poured out divine judgment on his son on the cross. Now, apart from our sins being atoned for, you and I, according to Romans chapter 5, are enemies of God. We're at war with God. But through the holy and righteous works of Jesus Christ, you and I become adopted sons and daughters. The blood of Christ turns enemies into a unified family. The b- blood of Christ turns enemies into a unified family. Okay, so the first thing, the wrath of God should direct us to the character of God, okay? We, we've looked at that God is holy, that he's gracious, and that he's, uh, he's merciful. And secondly, 
is that all people know and reject God the Father. All people know and reject God the Father. Look at this Romans chapter 1 passage with me again, verses 19 through 23 this time. And I want you to think about the point two, all people know and reject God the Father as we're reading these verses, okay? Keep that in mind. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, ever since the beginning of time, okay, Um, in the things that have been made. So they are what? Without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I want you to write this definition down. I'm going to define some theological terms for you this morning. The first term I want to define for you is general revelation. Some people, it's, it's also known as natural revelation, okay? General or natural revelation. It's the, it is the, the knowledge of God's existence, His character, and His moral law, which comes through creation to all humanity. Okay, it's the knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law, which comes through creation to all of humanity, Every person in this entire world knows that God the Father exists, according to Romans chapter 1, because God has instilled it on their conscience. That's verse 19 of Romans chapter 1. And also in chapter 2, uh, we hear about how the Gentiles have the law of God written on their hearts. Okay? So God's instilled it on their conscience. And, and secondly, His invisible attributes are cr- clearly perceived in the created order. His invisible attributes are clearly perceived in the creative order. However, it's it's important to know general revelation, the term I just defined for you, it doesn't lead anybody to be reconciled to God. But it does this. It leaves all of man without an excuse. Okay, it doesn't, it doesn't lead anybody to be reconciled to God, but it leads all of man without an excuse. Psalm 19.1 states, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Every single person on the planet will stand before God the Father without an excuse because we serve a God who's knowable, and we reject Him. We serve a God who's knowable, and we reject Him. Okay? So the problem isn't that God, God the Father isn't knowable. It's that every single person on the planet rejects Him. If, some, if someone were to ask, and please listen closely, other, otherwise you may stone me for heresy, but, um, and you, you still may stone me for heresy. Either way, it could go either way at this point. Um, if someone were to ask the question to me, will an innocent man who's never heard the gospel, uh, who's never heard the name Jesus Christ, uh, will that person go to heaven? If an innocent man who's never heard the name Jesus, uh, 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 will that person go to heaven? And my answer would be, yes, he he would. But the problem is what? There's no innocent man. That person doesn't exist, right? There's there's no innocent people. All people are condemned for rejecting God the Father, Jew and Gentile. We're all guilty. The Bible teaches this over and over again. 
Look further with me in Romans chapter, that Romans 1 passage. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to Him, because, uh, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, doesn't that sound like us? Extremely arrogant, we think we know it all. Um, claiming to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, and this is key, they exchanged the truth about God. The truth is evident, as we have established. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator is blessed forever. Amen. In this passage of Scripture, it diagnoses the problem without leaving any unanswered questions. And apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating our hearts and turning our affections toward Jesus Christ, we're incapable of embracing God the Father on our own. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. I've told you guys this a ton of times, but uh, the Apostle Paul, he says, there's none righteous, none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Ephesians chapter 2 even goes as far as to say that we're dead in our trespasses, not struggling in our, our trespasses, not hoping that we can somehow get to God in our trespasses, but we're actually dead people in our trespasses. And, and what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us back to life so that, that we can embrace God the Father. So when discussing the destiny of the unevangelized, it's important to remember that it's not a, a lack of, of the remedy that, that sends people to their death or that sends people to hell. Okay, It's not a lack of the remedy. It's, it's the disease, which Romans 1 defines as a rejection of God the Father. I want you for a minute, think of somebody who has cancer. Okay, Everybody in this room has either had cancer or knows somebody who's had cancer before. My question is, is it the cancer that kills somebody or is it the lack of an antidote that kills somebody? It's the cancer, right? We can all agree that it's the, the cancer that, that kills uh, people. It's, it's not the, the lack of a cure. It's not because of a lack of a cure that people are dying. It's because of the cancer. Our cancer, according to God's word, is a rejection of God the Father. We exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship the cre uh, creature rather than the creator. Romans 5 teaches that all people since the fall of Adam are condemned. We were condemned the moment Adam, our representative, uh, disobeyed God. And we're condemned because what we did was we, we, elevate our we elevated our desires, okay? We worshiped the creature, whatever that is, above our love for God the Father. That's where we are. So let me recap really quick. The wrath of God should direct us to the character of God. God's holy, God's gracious, God's merciful um, uh, is demonstrated by Him pouring out His wrath on His Son. Secondly, all people know and reject God the Father. This has been true since the beginning of time. In Adam, we all sin and reject God the Father because we're dead in our trespasses. And thirdly, God provides a way to a saving knowledge of Jesus. God provides a way to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Thank God for this part. Hmm? The second theological term for this weekend that I want to define for you is what's called special revelation. Special revelation. This refers to God's words addressed to specific people, such as the words of the Bible, the words of the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles, and the words of God spoken in personal address. 
general revelation, what we defined earlier, is a prerequisite to special revelation. Okay, you, you got to have general revelation in order to get to this part, the special revelation. People can't be, uh, at this point, we're, we're um, well, in the book, the resource we've been offering you over the course of this series, it's called Tough Topics by Sam Storms. He says this, if a person will respond to the revelation he has, even if it is solely natural revelation, God will provide some means for that person to hear the gospel. If a person will respond to the revelation he has, even if it's solely natural revelation, God will provide some means for that person to hear the gospel. Okay, we're now attaching scripture at this point. Remember, general revelation on its own isn't sufficient to save man. What it does is leave man without an excuse, okay? Special revelation must take place in order for man to be reconciled to God the Father. People cannot be reconciled to God apart from faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to do that. John chapter, four, uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and what? No one comes to the Father except through me. A great example of um, God providing a, 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 way, uh, a way for uh, the personal work of Christ to reach an unreached people group is found in Acts chapter 10. If you want to take note of that, I'm not going to read the passage, but I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you, and then you can go and, and look at it and study it yourself. But it's uh, Peter encounters the first Christian Gentiles. Anybody know who that is? Just Cornelius was his name, okay? Peter, Peter and Cornelius happen, and we see the gospel being spread to the Gentiles, and this is how it happens in summary. Um, uh, Cornelius gets a vision from the Lord, uh, and his vision is to send for this guy named Peter who he's never met before in his life. Okay, He doesn't know who he's sending for. And then at the same time, around the same time, Peter is getting a vision. And in that vision, God's uh, preparing Peter's heart um, uh, for uh, the truth that the gospel is for everyone, not just for the Jew. Okay, they're, This is where they're about to find out, wait, God is saving both Jew and Gentile. He's saving everybody from uh, all nations, everyone. And so... Um, uh, as the, as the story goes in Acts chapter 10, um, Peter and Cornelius, they end up meeting each other uh, by God's providence, God's sovereignty. Uh, Peter preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit has prepared the hearts of Cornelius and his family. They respond to the gospel message. They put their faith and their trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shows up, does some incredible things in their life. Cornelius and his household um, get baptized. That's an incredible example of how, how God took this man, Cornelius, who was probably exposed to Judaism and definitely had the general revelation part because God is, like we said, evident in creation and, and, and the law of God's written on, on our hearts. Um, but he didn't know about Jesus Christ, or at least he didn't know the right information about Jesus. And Peter, being obedient um, to the Great Commission, was faithful enough to go and to tell Cornelius about this good news. That's what God does. Isn't that amazing? That's what God does. He provides a way for us to hear the gospel message. And we should be grateful that, that, that God loves us so much that he gave us one way. He wasn't obligated to give us any way at all. We're, we're not... We're not entitled to the gospel, and we have to stop thinking like that. You and I don't deserve the gospel, but God loved us so much, He gave us one way. He provided a way through a Son, Jesus Christ, for His glory, and because He loves you and He loves me. 
So the wrath of God should direct us to the character of God. God is holy, God is gracious, and God is merciful. Secondly, all people know and reject God the Father. Thirdly, God provides a way to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And the last thing, and I promise I'll, I'll move quickly, the very last thing, in the same way that the Apostle Paul closes the letter, his letter in the book of Romans after he's reminding after he's reminded the church in Rome of uh, this incredible good news, this incredible gospel message, my prayer is that the gospel in us should fuel our passion to reach all the nations. The gospel in us should fuel our passion to reach all the nations. And I want to get extremely practical with you on this point. If you're waiting for a vision like the one Cornelius and, and, and Peter had before you share the gospel... I can assure you that you're living in disobedience. As a church, we have to stop waiting for God to confirm what he's already commanded us to do in Scripture. Pastor Sean, he's starting a a new sermon series in a couple of weeks in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, that states, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Romans 10, verses 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, and that's not just me standing on the stage preaching. That's all of you, the, the task that we've all been given. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And it, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This entire um, month at Coastal, uh, the entire month of, of March is what uh, Robert, he's our missions director, uh, he's calling it Missions Madness Month. And if I followed sports closely, that would have been cute to me. Um, uh, but I, I don't. Um, but each week what, what we're doing is we're highlighting some missions uh, that Coastal's involved with both locally and globally. And I know that we've been spending a lot of time and our minds are probably um, uh, set on uh, this distant tribe that's never heard the message and us going, and that's what I want you to think about, but I don't want you to limit the mission just to that. I want you to see the mission here and now in your community, in your neighborhood, and also I want you to see the mission globally. And uh, my challenge to you would, to be, uh, would be to get involved in what God's doing through Coastal Community Church, both locally and globally. And you can find out a lot more. Uh, Robert's going to be back at our information center. And I know he would love to talk with you about ways that you can serve uh, and, and help to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But remember earlier when we briefly looked at Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to listen with me how how Isaiah's encounter with God progresses, okay? And so he's, he's aware, uh, he sees the holiness of God, he sees the seraphim worshiping, he recognizes his sin, uh, God purifies him uh, in his love, his grace, and his mercy, and then, uh, out of a gratefulness for the gospel, we hear the Lord say, who shall ascend, who will go for us? And then I can picture it perfectly, Isaiah raising his hand saying, God, please pick me to go. Please pick me to play a part in what you're doing because I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. It's easy as a Christian to say that we love everybody. I want to challenge you this morning to start this weekend by loving somebody specific. Loving, loving a generic everybody, which is what I think the church gets caught up with a lot. We always love this generic everybody. is like loving nobody at all. It's easy to assume that things will just work out the way they need to work out. 
not realizing that God, yes, he ordained the ends, but he also ordained the means, and you're the means that he's ordained. Start actively sharing the gospel with specific people in your life. Start loving specific people so that you can be engaged in what God's commanded each believer to do, which is reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Our encounter encounter with the Lord should look like this. God is holy. I am unclean. I'm distant. I'm sinful. God provides atonement through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. I repent of my sins. And I trust in the righteousness of Christ. And I'm going to tell everybody in all nations, everywhere, because I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I want to uh, to pray as our brothers in church history prayed when they said, Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying to your life insult, injury, and death so that I might be redeemed, ransomed, and freed. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. And thank you for saving sinners like me. We pray all this in the only name that saves Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to talk further about what God's doing in your life, you would like to talk further about the gospel, uh, we're going to have a prayer team that will be sitting up front. They're wearing purple shirts. I know that they would love to discuss more about what God's doing in your life. Uh, We're going to transition now into our offertory time. If you're a guest with us, we don't want you to feel any obligation or pressure to give. Um, This is just another way out of this gratefulness of the things that we were talking about this morning, that people are excited to play a part in what God's doing by giving financially um, to the missions, uh, to the mission of Coastal, which is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, what we're going to do is while uh, the ushers are taking up the offertory, we're going to uh, take a look up here at the screen. And this is one of the missions uh, that we support thanks to your generosity. At first it hurt, but when I seen others was in worse shape, I said, thank you, Lord. To me, it's a God-sent blessing, because other than Lackey, I would never have had the help to remove the tumor and to help in other aspects. I would never had the help, because income is very short. They, they, they're sincere Christians and they help you with kindness, they help you get your life back together to encourage you to give your self-esteem. So when I went there, I saw how sincere the people was in helping me. And it was good. It was good all the way. Just a plain blessing for me to see the smiles on their face and know that they're good Christians. And, and to me, it was just great. <laughs> I had found myself homeless, working full-time, and unable to afford health insurance or housing or just about anything else. A year and a half ago, um, you know, I was living in the back of a borrowed van, uh, went through a bankruptcy, and was in the process of looking for new employment 
and recognized that health issues I had were a debilitating factor. So kind of through the grapevine, I, I heard about Lackey Clinic, knew nothing about it. Um, looked it up on the internet, and by the time I got here the first time, with my Lackey card ready to see somebody, I was in a horrible place. I was in a horrible state, physically, emotionally, spiritual, spiritually. I was ruined, I was wrecked. Coming here was probably one of the, the best things I had done. Here, there is, it's, it's absolutely as if a family is taking care of you. It's, it's not doctors earning an income, it's people who want to help people. From the moment I came here, it was just, it changed my life in a big, big way. I love it. It's so much a part of my life. I mean, people laugh at me, why do you do that? You don't get paid. I'm like, I don't care. I, I just, I come in here and it's just full of joy. Uh, you can just feel the, the Lord here. Everybody's kind and the patients are wonderful. It must be humbling for a lot of the patients because, you know, being in the situation they're in, they have to come here and ask for help. Before I started going to like a free clinic, I barely went to the doctor because I was going to a place that every time I went, if I did not have the money, I could not be seen. So therefore, I hesitate of going to the doctor. And the part that I really like, if when you get there early in the morning before they start, they start that day with a prayer. And that morning I was there, and they were saying, Miss Mayberry here, and they came and said, you can come and pray with me. I said, huh? <laughs> I've never been to a place that they invite you to come in there opening in the morning when they had their discussion. And their discussion is not about patience, their discussion is about prayer. Okay, why don't y'all stand and join us as we uh, close uh, with some singing.